All right, pleased to be joined by Stephen Ellis. He's written for a, a bunch of different places. Uh, currently, he's contributing to Line Movement. He puts a ton of work into making his own NHL draft rankings. They're fantastic, uh, a really great resource. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, it's, uh, I can say I'm not bored. So I guess, uh, I guess it's been fun through all this. Right on. Um, I'd be remiss since you're you're now uh, writing for a betting website. Is there a best bet to make heading into the return to play? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd say uh, right now, because of how bad they were at the end of the regular season and their uncertain goalie situation, Washington's not a bad one right now. Not a team you, you can really ignore because like, we, we know what they can do at full strength. You know that throughout, and they, they struggled near the end, and Brayden Holpe was just terrible. But if they can get Holpe to kind of regain a bit of his past playoff form, or if Samson offense have taken the, the 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 role and running with it, I think this is a team you just got to look at and say, well, the, the, they statistically are not the favorite right now, but they've we know what they can do. Interesting. Yeah, they you can get them at plus three fifty just to come in first coming out of the round robin, which I, I think is kind of interesting. Although I'd probably go with Philly at the same odds. That's true. Philly, we saw how good they were at the end of the year. My my question is, Carter Hart ready to take the scene to the next level? And uh, obviously they're a much healthier team than they were at the end of the season when they were dominating. So the fact that they're going to be at full health, it's like, wow. But uh, the, the biggest question I think for all these teams is just the goaltending situation. We, we know what, we, we know what Tampa Bay has to offer. We know what uh, Vegas has to offer. But, again, when you got a team where you got a young goalie who's never been in this position, now albeit we, we've seen Carter Hart, he's been fantastic over the last couple of years, no matter where he's played. And he's played in for Team Canada at the World Junior Gold Medal game two years in a row, so he's played in big moments like this. But uh, when you got a guy who's got very limited experience as a starter and a guy who did struggle at points this year uh, as your main guy, you do have to wonder, is, is that going to be enough? And Philly may not have the absolute overall talent that teams like Tampa and Washington have, but as a team, we saw how good they were and how dominant they could be, especially when they, they had something to rally around in Oscar Lindblom. Yeah, and I wonder if they also don't have a bit of an advantage having so many young legs uh, to, to be able to try to go far in uh, what's going to be an absolute gauntlet to get to the final. Yeah, no, no kidding, because like, this is a, lot, a team where – especially the young guys, they're used to every summer playing tournaments and events, and they do have a young roster. And uh, again, they got a lot to prove here. We saw Pittsburgh as a team where like that's their biggest rival and Philly had the advantage, but not by much when you take into account how many injuries Pittsburgh had to go through this year. So Philly's got a lot to prove and they've got a lot of exciting options out there. And again, they've, they've got a, a guy to rally around. And I think that's been, once that happened, that seemed to give them momentum. It's like, we're playing for him now. Uh, Philly's got a young team a lot of talent and not a lot of playoff experience but in a lot of cases that doesn't matter if it just means you can go out there and um, fresh and just kind of hope for the best so that that's a bit of the the return to play stuff but uh, the reason that I had you on uh, I'm continuing the the redraft series that uh, that I've been doing uh, redrafting old drafts and we're doing the 2009 NHL entry draft so Stephen uh, what do you remember from 2009 well, that was exciting. I believe I was actually on a houseboat with my family um, back then. I want to say I was like uh, 14 at the time. Um, 
and uh actually no no definitely younger than that um but it was really cool because uh at the time there were not many good oakville uh, ontario born hockey players and me being from oakville it was cool to see that john Tavares was the guy that was going to be the one that was going to break that mold and through for the last couple of years we've seen a lot of guys from there where I grew up and everything kind of emerged into being some good players. We saw Steve Mason go out there and dominate for a little bit in the NHL to start the career. Evan Bouchard uh, out of Edmonton. Uh, he's, he's a one top prospect out there and we're continuously seeing more and more guys from Oakville start to, to kind of grow into hockey. So for that one's got a personal love for me because it's like, wow, this is a guy that's going to be a star. And he lived a couple streets away and had heard stories for years about how he used to play road hockey at all night or all hours of the night with Sam Gagne. And it was just really cool to kind of see a guy that like, as an Oakville hockey player myself, it was cool to see that translate into success. And obviously like, there was a lot more attention on him because he was the very first guy who got the exceptional status to the OHL so people knew about him early and he was to me one of the very first prospects I kind of followed throughout their entire career and um, it's obviously worked out for him so I was really cool to see that draft in particular. Yeah this was the John Tavares draft you mentioned he had the exceptional status and then he also uh, just a strange circumstance that he was a day too young for the 2008 entry draft so he ends up playing four full OHL seasons putting up absurd numbers so he's an absolute rock star before he even gets drafted it's very reminiscent of how NBA and NFL players, they get that NCAA bump and they're, they're superstars before they even get to the NBA or NFL. And we so rarely see that with NHLers, but Tavares, I mean, he destroyed the world juniors uh, in that draft season, eight goals, 15 points, six games, an epic run to the gold medal. Um, just, just an absolute rock star. I remember I was, uh, I was in university that year and uh, going to school in London and he gets traded to London and all of a sudden I'm seeing Tavares jerseys popping up all over the place like going grocery shopping at the mall all that stuff and just like people were really really excited for having a chance and having this superstar come to town and they ended up losing to those stacked uh, Spitfires teams with Taylor Hall and and Ryan Ellis that won back-to-back Memorial Cups but just the absolute buzz in the city was was crazy has there been another prospect other than Connor mcdavid that that's that's been that ballyhooed coming into the nhl since tavares uh definitely not like Stamkos, he brought in a lot of attention when in his draft year and uh obviously mcdavid did it was funny when i watched a, a game yeah uh, it was a preseason game in oakville and it was erie versus uh mississauga and they had mcdavid lining up in defense for most of the shifts and i don't know why but he had his you know a casual five point night that night but you, you could tell it was just like people didn't know who he was, even though that was his draft year. Like I played in a ball hockey tournament against McDavid once. And again, people just didn't know who he was, but at least it, it really caught on really quickly. And obviously we saw, we've been able to see what he's done, but I think we're, it might not be far off of what Shane Wright's going to be able to do someday. And uh, seeing him get 66 points uh, in the OHL as a rookie this year, 150 points with the uh, Domino's Flyers. I remember hearing when he was 13 and I remember asking somebody at a rink, like, well, who, what's like, what's the deal Shane, right? And they kept saying, this is the next John Tavares. And obviously he gets the exceptional status. He's from Burlington. So only a few minutes away from Oakville as it is. And uh, 
obviously like their numbers and their, if you break down some of the more uh, advanced stats in terms of rights game, they were actually very similar to Varus in his rookie year. So that could be interesting to see a couple years down the line. And this is a guy who Shane Wright could realistically contend for team Canada, the world juniors this year. Uh, and he's only 16 years old right now, which is insane. So uh, the, it, Tavares brought in an, a new era that we really didn't see until McDavid. Uh, and then obviously Austin Matthews in, in the Toronto area was a big deal, but maybe not necessarily anywhere what we saw of Tavares and McDavid. But I do think we might see Shane Wright go close to that. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to uh, keep that in mind heading into, what is that going to be, the 2022 draft? The 2022 draft is going to be one of the, I'm calling it now, it's the best draft the NHL is ever going to have. Wow. At least at that point. Uh, you got like you, you got Matt Savoy, who would be a first overall pick this year. Um, like Obviously still young in his career, but I'd say he's better than Lafreniere at the same age. And then Brad Lambert out of Finland is just on fire. And not only that, just the, the talent going out. Slovakia today, they played a game against the Czech Republic and they had a 16-year-old Jurek Slavsky in there who could be a top five prospect in 2022. In 20, uh, I wrote an article about it a few months ago for my personal website, and it's actually been one of the most popular ones I've ever written uh, because it's just the 2022 draft is getting so much attention from scouts, and now fans are starting to follow and say, this is going to be such an offensive heavy year where you've got like three guys who would be first overall picks in most other years all in the same draft, which is – and there's still a long time to go, and every there's always – a lot of hype a couple years out of the way for a draft like 2020 we knew by 2017 this was going to be a good draft but 2022 is just going to be insane and just if if everything kind of works out with the way people are expecting it's going to be so many first line players and so many number one guys that it's just going to be uncomparable in any other draft uh, you've got me salivating, Stephen, but uh, we, we do have a purpose here. We're, we're here to talk about 2009. <laughs> we're here to go in the Wayback Machine. So circling things back around uh, 2009, this we came off of Pen Penguins, uh, Red Wings, Volume 2, in which uh, Crosby and Malkin, they, they finally climbed the mountain. And we thought that this was going to be the start of a crazy run where they'd be contending for cups every year. But while they made the playoffs every year, it, it takes them – almost another decade to get back up the hill. Um, we're starting to see around this point in time that the draft is turning into the time where teams really get all their, their blockbuster business done. And Danny Heatley, he's rumored to be on the block from Ottawa. I know that feels like it was a, a million years ago now. But, Very long. Uh, he, uh, he refuses a trade to Edmonton not long after this draft and he ends up getting to move move to San Jose that September and he has an awesome run with Joe Thornton for like yeah well about that it's like you look at he you look at Heatley Heatley brilliant on two of the best lines we've seen in the post uh, 2004-05 lockout era he played with Alfredson and Spezza and then got to go play with Marlowe and Thornton he played on two incredible lines at points in his career and I think that's just something that's almost overlooked now because uh, Heatley's career kind of just really fizzled really quickly going to Minnesota and just kind of getting forgotten about. But that was a guy that just anywhere he went, he played on the top line. He played uh, with, uh, with Kovalchuk for a bit too in Atlanta. He just he was always surrounded by top tier talent, which just makes that so much fun to watch how his career kind of went. Yeah, and Mark Savard on that line with Kovalchuk, mm -hmm. just uh, just truly blessed with uh, with some top talent for for Danny Heatley, a guy who he basically skated in mud 
but he could shoot it. Yeah, that's uh, the guy who uh, it fifteen oh seven was always the thing about him. But uh, that was a guy who could just shoot, 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 and just did some incredible stuff. And yeah, that year overall, there was a lot of uh, a lot of really weird moments in the draft. I remember, I think that was the year where uh, the Rangers got a an extra pick in the first round because uh, they lost uh, Alexei Jaropanov, who who was unfortunately uh, deceased at the time. So I remember that draft being a kind of a weird one for that and a lot of trades. It was a, but uh, yeah, that, that draft was strange, I'd say in a lot of cases. Yeah. We'll get to some of the trades. Uh, another trade that doesn't end up coming to fruition was the, the heavily rumored uh, Thomas Caberlet to the Boston Bruins. And there was some talk of, Phil Kessel going to Toronto for Caberlet and a first, whether it was a future first or their number seven overall pick in 09. And I think that ends up being what makes the deal fall apart. But as we all know, eventually by September Kessel, he does get dealt for two future firsts and those turn into Tyler Sagan, Dougie Hamilton and Caberlet. He doesn't end up getting dealt until 2011, but he he lands on the Bruins and ultimately wins a cup with that team. That was uh, that was a thing with, with Cabalades. He, he played for Boston and Montreal. Sometimes it's hard to forget. They're easy to forget that. But yeah, it, that was the thing with Toronto. It's they, they were they were in a kind of a rough time. They were still struggling on the ice, and it's been a few years since they made the playoffs. And Cabalades was one of the best players, but it's like, do they go there and try to recoup their losses? And uh, as we eventually saw, they didn't really get much out of Luke Shen the year before that. So they um, at the time they obviously didn't know what was going to happen there, but. Um, they, getting Castle eventually was obviously a huge thing, and I think also one of the the biggest disappointments in recent Leafs history. The fact that they couldn't get enough, uh, couldn't surround him with enough talent to really get full use of Phil Castle. But um, yeah, that was uh, you know, a couple of years before that they were talking about trading Matt Sundin to, to Montreal. I remember that. It might have been like oh seven or oh eight or something like that. And uh, I remember that being uh, another draft fun fact. Yeah, Sundin he he famously was turning down trades to other places left and right which uh which turned him into a bit of a pariah in toronto after being such a fan favorite um yeah a ton of leafs trade speculation in this draft and brian burke is mic'd up for this draft which leads to just oodles and oodles of entertainment we'll get we'll get to him and brian murray uh when, when we get to the leafs pick at number seven there's lots of talk of them potentially trading up into maybe even the number one overall pick, but everyone's asking Burke to give up Luke Shen and he refuses to do that. And you can see some logic to it because it's not often you get a 18 year old defenseman is capable of playing in the NHL. It just so happens that he was basically maxed out in his ability at uh, 18. He, He never grew from there. And so he never ends up being any better than kind of a uh, a bottom pairing shutdown type guy. Yeah, and uh, as we know, things have changed quite a bit since then. Absolutely, he may he may yet win a cup as a uh, as like an eighth defenseman on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, it almost looked like retirement year. was an option too. At one point, it would look like retirement maybe even last summer. So it's, uh, things have kind of changed for him. Absolutely, uh, the one trade that does take place, Chris Pronger. Uh, gets traded right before the draft to uh, from Anaheim to Philadelphia. 
uh, once again, traded for Joffrey Lupul. Maybe stop trading Joffrey Lupul or uh, <laughs> <laughs> stop trading for him. Uh, the, the Ducks also get uh, Lucas Pisa and the number 21 overall pick. And then they get uh, the Flyers 2010 first. Um, and, and it almost leads to the Flyers winning, uh, winning the 2010 Cup. Uh, Chris Pronger, once again, going to a new team and leading them all the way to the Cup final. Yeah, that's uh, it just shows how important he was uh, for a couple of years there, at least. But uh, it was fun because I remember, um, well, obviously we all remember the 2010 when he kept picking up the pucks after games. That was kind of funny. But um, seeing there, it's just like at the time, we were, there was still a lot of thought that maybe Joffrey Lupul could be this maybe 50, 60 point guy every single year. And obviously it didn't happen. And Lucas Pisa was a top prospect. Um, and now we look at him now and it's kind of like, well, not too, too much has come out of that but um it, it, for cap space and other reasons it, it was a deal that made sense and i believe also ryan dingle was involved in that trade there too and uh pronger had some great years in anaheim and uh, the other guys just had some okay years in uh, uh or sorry pronger had to get some good years in philadelphia and the other guys had some okay years in anaheim type thing so and loophole eventually would get traded to the leafs not too long afterwards so uh but that was a big one pronger brought uh, a lot of stability to a blue line that already had chemo team at the time and Obviously, we saw what the goaltending situation was in Philadelphia. Was we don't know who's going to start on any given night type thing, and um, that uh, having a guy like Pronger there in front of them really helped. Yeah, it turns out franchise defensemen are invaluable, and in this draft, the the Islanders they they finish dead last, but they also win the draft lottery, so they've got the number one all, overall pick. And unlike the Tampa Bay Lightning the the year before who started the scene Stamkos campaign uh, almost immediately upon winning the draft lottery. Um, Garth Snow won't tip his hand as to who he's going to pick at number one. So it leads to all this wild speculation and eventually even Matt Duchesne is uh, rumored to potentially go number one overall, but that doesn't happen. Tavares goes number one, Tampa Bay, they're picking number two. They take Victor Hedman, who's getting comparisons to Pronger. And one of the rare times that uh, a comparison to uh, a Hall of Fame talent actually turns out fairly prescient. Um, Number three, Colorado, they take known Avalanche fan Matt Duchesne. And it's notable because in the stands, uh, if you you rewatch the draft picks, he actually says yes when he gets uh, picked because he really wants to go to Colorado. And then, of course, he eventually no longer wants to be in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, it, things kind of change really quickly. And I think that's almost a, a tough thing. It's like you made, you had your dreams made true. You got to play for the franchise you loved. But then you stop loving them when things don't go too well. And obviously that the marriage kind of ended uh, a few years after that. And it was a shame that they couldn't really do enough with Duchesne as a member of the team. Just right now, right now looking at that, uh, the the, the the obviously there would be some cap issues if he had stuck around based off of that team but uh uh yeah that was really cool to see that moment and uh there was a lot of talk about is Duchesne the number one guy but it's just hard to go against a guy like Tavares or a guy like Hedman who you mentioned had some comparisons to the uh Chris Pronger and that really lived up to it but it's also one of the reasons why I absolutely hate doing comparisons for uh, prospects and I, I try to get away with them unless I'm specifically asked uh, when I do my prospect reports and that's just because uh, you're almost t- sometimes putting unrealistic expectations on players and I know Matt Boldy was an example I like to use a lot of people kind of had him as a 
a guy who's going to be a first line winger in Minnesota type thing. He's going to be the star guy. And then he started struggling. And I can't recall who it was people were kind of mentioning him to be, but it was like this guy that was going to be tough to kind of replicate anyways. And um, it's, he struggled in the NCAA and didn't really totally work out for him at the start, but then he started to pick it up. So I think when you look at expectations, you got to be realistic. But the fact that Prong, like that Hedman was predicted to be someone like Pronger, and then it actually worked out in everyone's favor uh, was a testament of just how good of a defenseman Victor Hedman is. Yeah, it's, it's absolute catnip. So I, I just, I love hearing the comparables because I love the draft. I just, I'm not going to put all the time and effort that is required into scouting these, these kids. And so uh, being able to, to hear people throw out comparables, it's absolute catnip for me. And I know that I'm not alone in that, but I understand how fraught that can be. I was just saying, like, it's, it's like, you'll see, you'll get sometimes really lazy comparisons where it's like, oh, this guy's fast. Oh, he's comparison small. He's comparison to Marty St. Louis. It's like, well, St. Louis was a pretty unique player in that way. And uh, it, it's just like the other guys will get comparisons just for the sole fact that they're six foot four and the guy they're referenced to is six foot four. And I remember seeing a lot of people say Nick Robertson was like Nick Ritchie. It's like, well, one's six, six, four, six, five, and the other's a shrimp. Like those are not comparable players at all. So that's why I'm always like hesitant in the terms of um, comparisons, because it's like, again, sometimes you're setting unrealistic expectations for fans. So when I do them, I try to say, I'm pointing this out as a style comparison and not a, this guy is going to be the next type player. So, uh, cause like Shane, Wright, Well, you know, he's, he's, there are a lot of comparisons between him and John Tavares if he doesn't turn into a John Tavares type player and ends up being someone closer to, uh, I don't know, like it'll do someone who's a slight step down. It doesn't mean it's a failure. Just, I don't like putting unrealistic expectations in the, in the minds of fans when they, it's like, Oh, there's a similar style, but they're not going to end up producing that type of results type thing. Yeah. It'd be like, uh, if you think you're getting Tavares and you end up with Braden Shen or something like that, just to, exactly. just to circle this back to the 2009 draft um, Atlanta, they take Evander Kane at number four. And I mean, we're, we're going to redraft this pick, but I figure I'll ask the question now, like they're a year and a half away at this point from basically being done in Atlanta. I think they moved in the 2011 off season before the 2011 draft or the 2011 draft is the last draft for the Atlanta Thrashers. And there's a lot being kind of hung on this pick. Can they keep Kovalchuk? And he ends up getting traded at the next deadline. So that's like, I don't think there's anything they could have done to keep Kovalchuk there. And I don't think there's anything they could have done to, to keep the franchise in Atlanta. Like there's no pick they could have made. So um, it's a, it's a boon for Winnipeg. They end up, uh, they end up getting a guy who he, he didn't end up ultimately fitting in with that locker room, but they, they made a nice trade with the, the Buffalo Sabres to, to add some talent uh, in Tyler Myers. And I think they got a handful of other guys, uh, maybe Yoel Armia in that trade as well, but uh, a, a very good player for them anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I have Atlanta Thrasher's jersey sitting right behind me right now. And I was just really wishing they could kind of hit everything out of the park that they needed to in the draft and subsequent trades to kind of make them a consistent team. And uh, obviously didn't do so well. And it didn't matter in the end, they ended up moving, but it just, they had so much talent in the early years of their team with guys like Keatley and guys like um, Kovalchuk and Savard and, 
on Hosa at some point over the time they had at least one of those guys. And the fact that it didn't turn into any playoff success is a disappointment because yeah, they, they had the makings of a solid team and they, they started to look really good and then it just kind of disappeared and they became the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, they, they were a bit uh, a bit like the early 2010s Oilers in that they, you know, they were great when they were drafting in the top of the lottery, although they did have some, some missteps at that point in the drafts, even even in that regard. But uh, they, they could get some elite talent at the, at the top of the draft, but they just didn't surround the rest of their talent with with anything. Um, number five, the LA Kings, they take Braden Shen, uh, which leads to the telecast flashing over to a, an absolutely miserable Brian Burke, who he desperately wanted to get the Shen brothers together. Yeah. And uh, that, that would have been kind of fun just for the, Hey, like, look at this, this happened type thing. And uh, as it eventually worked out he only played I think about nine games with the Kings before eventually going to the the Philadelphia Flyers and I think they also expected kind of like he he was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to instantly kind of be a threat to make the NHL and that wasn't the case he only played one game I believe after getting drafted and then uh split time in the the W well actually a couple teams the year afterwards and um yeah, Shen was a guy that we knew he could be a bit. He had a power forward mentality. He could score. He could hit. He could do everything. And he was such a hard player to contain. And we saw him at the multiple World Juniors, where I was like, "My gosh, this guy was going to be great." But he did. He didn't do it until after he was drafted. But internationally, this was a guy that was just putting everyone on notice of how talented he was. And uh, I believe he had like thirty-two goals or something like that, and almost uh, ninety points as a in his draft year, he was just something like the complete package that anyone was looking forward to. And yeah, didn't go to Toronto there. And it looked like LA had something kind of going for them long-term and then they ended up trading him before he ever really got a chance to get settled there. Here's a what if, because Shen and Wayne Simmons are in the package for Mike Richards. Do the Kings, do they really need to make that trade for Mike Richards? What's the over-under for their cup wins? if they don't make that Mike Richards trade, because I think that the Jeff Carter trade was much more important, but I wonder if maybe if they don't already have Richards, if, uh, if his dry Island buddy won't join him in LA, if he isn't there. And see, that's a good question because when you look at Richards, his, uh, some of his worst hockey actually was with the the Kings and it was a big step down because he was, he had 66 points in his final year in Philadelphia and then he gets traded eventually to LA and uh, he had like something like 44 points and he could never just regain the, the numbers or the, the results he was having when he was playing his best hockey in Philadelphia. And yeah, you know, the, the, what's the question? Would, would Jeff Carter have been, uh, would he have made the way over at some point afterwards? And that's a, that's a tough question because obviously they know each other well. And um, I, I do agree. Jeff Carter was definitely the better player. Um, but when you look at it ever since, it's like, well, they really gave up on Shen really quickly. And like almost instantly we saw that Shen was a better player than Richards was uh, quite quickly. And uh, it's a shame. Eventually the Shen obviously went to St. Louis and now he's ripped out there and he's got a Stanley cup to his credit, but maybe he could add two, maybe he could have had three. And uh, I think it's a shame because Simmons in his prime, like he was put, he, he was a very, very 
very productive player who could uh who just did a lot more than just score and hit he was just a very strong two-way player and having two guys like that in the lineup I think would have been better but if that meant you don't have Jeff Carter then by the time the Kings won their first cup I don't think Brandon Shen would have been as good of a player as he ended up being yeah and it's it certainly worked out for Philly. They cut bait on Richards at just about the right time. And that made their rebuild pain so much less. And we've seen them do that uh, a handful of times over the years. Braden Shen, uh, another example of that, when they traded him to St. Louis, they got an excellent haul with uh, Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost ultimately becoming draft picks for them and it's going to bear fruit in another short run but also you wonder if it didn't uh, if it didn't close their window a little bit faster in having made that trade it's just timing is everything right yeah and and the problem with the kings also like they they won the cups but then they kind of handicapped themselves with terrible contracts and uh shen may have not been in that situation he may have been able to, uh, to provide a lot more and we saw what happened and it's it's too bad that uh, they didn't get a chance to really get a chance to show what Shen could do. And uh, he went out and had some good years. And he, he struggled a bit in Philadelphia, but then uh, he really found his groove when he got to St. Louis. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, it's, it's worked out for Shen. He's been, he's been well paid. He, he's got a new contract kicking in next year that's, uh, that's going to keep him on a cup contender for a long time. And uh, it's going to have him well paid. So it all worked out in the end for him. And the Kings got to hoist two cups and now – you know, just despite this downturn, they now have maybe the best prospect pool in hockey. So uh, things are looking up for them. Yeah. And uh, in the salary cap era, it's going to be, you're good for a few years and you spend too much and then you got to rebuild. And we see kind of what happens in Chicago, for example, a very good example. We haven't had enough of time, I think, to really see these, these dynasties uh, go from being great to die to great again. And, uh, but LA, like, could be maybe two, three years till they really get. I, I still think they need, uh, to figure out their goaltending situation. Like, we know Cal Peterson's a, a good young goalie that I think's got a lot of hope, but uh, I don't think that he's going to save this team. And, uh, Jonathan Quick, we obviously know again, his years are way past him. So it, they, they could benefit from getting a good goalie, but I don't think that's this year's draft. I don't even think it's next year's draft, depending on where they pick. No, and maybe the, the best approach to finding goalies isn't necessarily drafting them, or if you're going to draft them, you draft them late and just hope you stumble into one. Um, or trade the New York Rangers. They have a few options. Yeah, yeah, that, that would probably be the way to go. It, it certainly worked out for Edmonton until they burned out uh, Cam Talbot. He was, he was an excellent get for them. Um, what, one last thing on this LA Kings thread. I was reading uh, an LA Kings insider column from John Rosen with the director of Amateur Scouting, uh, Mark Yanetti. And he was recounting this story about how when Ryan O'Reilly fell out of the first round, they were hounding the New York Islanders to trade up from number 35 to 31 because they were desperate to get O'Reilly. And I mean, the Kings, they end up doing well at 35, taking Kyle Clifford. It's, it's not that often that you find an NHL player, but O'Reilly is the rare guy who makes the leap right from the second round into the NHL as an 18 year old. And if he makes that leap and is filling that third line center role, they definitely don't need to make that Mike Richards trade then. And so it just, it just absolute 
crazy turn of events where if they had been able to trade up, they wouldn't have had to make that trade. And maybe they get to keep all these players. And suddenly we're looking at the LA Kings as having run the 2010s. Yeah, just on that. Ryan O'Reilly there again would have hurt the team's cap situation, but that would have been an interesting uh, pick there. And obviously Kyle Clifford, you know, he, he gave a lot to that Kings team. He was there a long time until he just got traded to Toronto a few months ago. And uh, like, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. but what would happen if Robin Leonard was on their team? Or uh, if, if they went out and got a guy like Jacob Silverberg, a few picks after that. So uh, the Kings definitely didn't lose out. But if you had Ryan O'Reilly there, then you've got, if your if your number one and two centermen are O'Reilly and Kopitar, wow, how many more Stanley Cups do you win at that point? And uh, they obviously needed a bit of help on defense. Like we knew Drew Doughty was the the guy there, but there there was definitely questions kind of around the rest of the team as to uh, when, when at the time they win the cup in the first year. And uh, Jonathan Quick, I think, faced the most shots of any goalie in the playoffs well, that's not ideal for a team to go and win the Stanley Cup. And, like, obviously it worked out. They won the Cup. But just imagine just kind of the different picks that would have changed that team. But in the end, you can't go wrong with two Cups in such a short period of time either. Yeah, for sure. And it's probably asking too much to get any more than that. But it's it's just one of those what-ifs that uh, I'm sure there's many a Kings fan that has asked themselves those questions. Um, at number six, the Phoenix Coyotes – they take Oliver Ekman Larson, and it's only notable because uh, the the crowd in Montreal, where this draft was taking place, they start cheering Hamilton, 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 because uh, the Coyotes, their their constant arena struggles and ownership struggles, and they were uh, heavily rumored to be moving to Hamilton uh, under the ownership of Jim Balsillie, but that didn't take place, and it sounds like ownership might finally be settled uh, for the now Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, well, it was a tough few years for them. It was Hamilton. There was a Pittsburgh was rumored to go to Hamilton, and uh, as it stands, Hamilton doesn't look like a, at all anywhere close to being able to get an NHL team uh, after all this. Uh, but there, yeah, there was all that uncertainty, and the Coyotes kind of needed someone to really give that team some life. And the question was, though, like even if they were to get a star guy, and they did, they went out and got Oliver Ekman Larson, a multi-time NHL All Star. He's won gold medals of Sweden. Like this is a guy that's done a lot in his career. But the question was, was that going to be enough to really get the fans there? And uh, over time, it, it was clear, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, they still need a lot of success. And this is their very first playoff appearance this season since 2012 when the, back then it was uh, Mike Smith basically putting on a clinic every single night he played. And the, the team itself just kind of has struggled ever since. So, no, he wasn't enough to get the fans super excited, but there are still enough people that want to keep the team there, and I think that's really important. So, um, yeah, that, that was a guy that obviously one of the best players the, the, the Coyotes have ever had, ever gone in the draft. And it's been great to see what he's able to do, but then at the same time, he's been in trade rumors for so often. It's well, it maybe – I think the date of getting the max out of him has passed uh, in terms of um, in, a, in a trade, but – what could have Ekman Larson got the Coyotes a couple of years ago in the trade type thing? So um, it was still the right pick, obviously. The couple of picks afterwards, not a lot of them have kind of really panned out the way that the, the those teams were hoping. So the Coyotes got a fantastic pick and uh, definitely one of the better players in a redraft. Uh, no question. I'm sure he'll go quite high for us when we get to our redraft. Uh, and number seven, Toronto Maple Leafs. 
they're not able to move up. They maybe didn't even want to move this pick to move up. It, this is an all-time draft moment. So they, before the Leafs actually step up to the podium, the, the draft cast, they cut to Brian Burke and Brian Murray having uh, this conversation on the draft floor. And the Sens are picking at number nine. And so they're talking about maybe, maybe swapping picks and Burke. What do you want to do? Murray, well, I'll flip you. And before he even finishes, he can't even finish the trade offer. Burke just stomps all over him. Kadri's the kid we're going to take. Is that the kid you want? And Brian Murray's just, he's all flustered. Yeah. And then, well, we're going to take him. So, and then, <laughs> and then Murray just walks away. And it's just like, it's, it's textbook Brian Burke just running someone over. And it, it's an all-time moment. It's hilarious. Um, and it turns out it was the right pick with all the landmines that went after them. Yeah, no kidding. Because there, I remember, remember going to the draft. I remember reading reports on newspapers and uh, all the publications were saying, you got to get Scott, Scott Glenn. He's going to be the guy that's going to be the, the next great winger on the sleeves. And obviously we saw Glenn. I think he's like a real estate agent now or the hockey agent. Can't, can't recall exactly. But uh, Caudry was definitely the right pick at the time. And it took him a couple of years to really find his bearings. And I think he played some of his best hockey right before he ended up getting traded to uh, Colorado uh, last uh, summer. Caudry, because when you get to after – uh, the fifth pick you're unlikely going to get a number one centerman type guy and I think they were still kind of hoping that would be Kadri and for a point he was but it seemed like when Kadri fit into a second third line center role that was when he really started to thrive and he wasn't all of a sudden having to be the line driver or the guy that was going out there and producing all these points if you can get him at 50 55 points a year you're getting so much out of Kadri and uh so yeah you know that that was a time where the Leafs really needed a number one guy and Kadri was not that guy for them but I think we can all agree that Kadri did do enough in his time in Toronto to say that was still a very successful pick especially when you look at the other options being a whole lot of nothing and even then they still could like they could still use some defense help and there were a couple picks that in hindsight looked really good defensively uh, but uh, we also know that Ottawa ended up getting Jared Cohen who or Cowan who the Leafs did get eventually many many years later but Caudry was definitely a great pick for them yeah, as it turns out, there's maybe a bit of a ceiling on you if Kadri's your number one center. I'm going to zoom through these next handful of picks uh, to, to get us back on track here. So number eight, you referenced it, Dallas. They take Scott Glennie. Uh, you referenced number nine, Ottawa. They take Jared Cowan. At number 10, uh, Edmonton takes Magnus PRV. He was uh, then known as Magnus PRV Svensson. Uh, number 11, Nashville Predators. They're, they're a bit prescient with the, the Ryan Ellis pick. Uh, number 12, the New York Islanders. They've got another pick in this draft. They end up taking Calvin DeHaan, Vara's former Oshawa Generals teammate. And there's a bit of a trade tree. You mentioned all the trades in this draft. So just bear with me. I'm going to go through everything that led to the Islanders ultimately picking at number 12. Not sure if it'll be good radio or not, but uh, it's, it's my podcast, so I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> so in the summer of 08, the Sharks, they ended up uh, trading their 09 first to Tampa Bay for Dan Boyle. And the Lightning ended up flipping that first along with Philip Kuba to the Ottawa Senators for Andre Mazaros. And Ottawa flips that first to the Islanders at the 09 deadline for Mike Comrie. 
So that Sharks pick, remember they were good that year. So that pick is sitting at number 26. The Sharks won the President's Trophy. I know where um, you're going with this one. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, at the draft, the Islanders, they trade up from number 26 to number 16. They give up their second, their third, and uh, fourth to Columbus to move up to number 16, and they also get a third. Then they flip number 16, a third, and a seventh to Minnesota to get up to number 12 and take DeHaan. But before this draft is all over, they end up reacquiring the third and the fourth from Columbus in exchange for a late second, and they end up using all these picks to get NHL players. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I think they ended up getting Anders Nilsson and Casey Sezikis out of those third and fourth rounders. Minnesota, they turned number 16 into Nick Letty, who eventually becomes an Islander. And then they also got Eric Howla with that, with that seventh uh, rounder. And at number 26, uh, it finally, it ends up going to Anaheim because Columbus, uh, they move up to number 21 uh, to take John Moore. And Anaheim takes, uh, they keep the number 26 pick and they take Kyle Palmieri and that number 21 pick they had acquired in the Chris Pronger deal. So we've come full circle with the, the ludicrous trades that took place in this first Ooh. round. And <laughs> the only thing I can surmise is that whenever you get to a draft, at the point in the draft where no one has any idea who's good and who's not, you get this kind of wild loop. Yeah, <laughs> when when the time the Kyle Palmieri gets drafted and it's like six teams in, it's like, well, all right, that's odd. I mean, when you look at the first round, there's a lot of guys who just really didn't pan out. And so after all those trades, Palmieri ended up becoming a really good player. But like, you, you look at all the guys before him, and a lot of them were hyped or even had some. They were like, okay, well, maybe this guy will be pretty good. And a large majority of the picks after number the six overall pick really didn't end up being much. So yeah, it was like, Oh man, there was way too many trades involved for that. Just to, just, just for, just to get caught up Mary out of it all. Yeah. Uh, apologies to everyone listening to that. I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's looking a little bit uh, like Alan in the hangover uh, counting cards. <laughs> uh, so at number 13, a very, very popular player heading into this draft. The Buffalo Sabres take Zach Cassian. He's kind of, uh, he's, he's thought of to be a, a future awesome power forward. And he's not going to go in a redraft. So I thought I would just mention that his redemption story has, uh, has truly been something special because it's not often that you go from washing out of the league entirely and, and overcoming uh, things like alcoholism in, in order to land yourself as a top line winger alongside the best player in the world and get yourself a nice, uh, a nice contract. Uh, number 14, the Florida Panthers, they take Dmitry Kulikov. And then at number 15, the Anaheim Ducks, uh, number 15, it almost never pans out. They take uh, yep. Peter Holland. Yeah, Peter Holland, that was a, a guy that he got moved around a little bit near the end of his career. And uh, I, I did a very, I did a, one of my very first TV segments I ever did with uh, Leafs TV was talk about actually how valuable Peter Holland kind of was in a bottom six role for the Leafs. And he played his best hockey with the Leafs. And 
Uh, he, he's most recently played in the KHL, I believe. He had a couple of years in the AHL, and uh, he was kind of up and down for about a decade, and uh, that didn't really work out there for the Ducks. But like I said, when you kind of get to that mid part of the draft, or the first round, it's like there is still a lot of chance that those guys won't end up becoming anything special. And Kulikov, he was a, a solid defenseman for a few years in Florida, but I think he spent his entire career thinking like, okay, like maybe he'll – get a little bit better maybe he'll figure it out maybe he'll uh, he, there was just always something missing in his game and uh, he's not the fastest guy he actually he he uh can't say no he, he flipped a puck at me at the world cup of hockey when i was at practice because i don't know if he liked taking photos of him so he looks at me points at me takes a takes a shot and hits almost hits my camera and then just starts <laughs> laughing but he, he was cool about it afterwards but it's a good thing i was paying attention because i had a it was a uh, one of the Stroms broke one of my cameras of the World Juniors one year. Um, very expensive lens and everything. But, uh, uh, yeah, like, with Holland, he obviously didn't really fit in. And Kulikov, he actually did play a role, and he's still an active uh, defenseman in the NHL. But uh, I don't think either kind of hit the what they were looking for in terms of uh, career production. So it's safe to say he left a, an indelible mark. Very much so. Um, so some other guys who go in the first round, we mentioned Letty, Palmieri, Chris Kreider goes to the Rangers, Marcus Johansson, uh, a later pick for the Washington Capitals. Uh, some other much hyped prospects, the, as I mentioned, this draft took place in Montreal and they selected hometown boy Louis LeBlanc and the fans went absolutely apeshit over that pick and Bob Gain even made some reference to uh, the, the hometown factor playing a role in their making that pick and maybe uh, not the best choice on their part. No, uh, very much not. Uh, it was a pick that was really like, it, it, it was sounding cool on paper, but then you look back, it's like, well, he wasn't even a point. He, he just missed being a point per game guy in the USHL. And then uh, there was hope, you know, he'd go to, to Harvard and would really kind of light it up and didn't really have the great rookie season they were hoping for. I went to back to, um, he went to major junior and really, really didn't produce much in his final year there and just could never crack the Canadians on a full-time basis. And uh, believe me, he played a bunch of games as a, like a rookie he played, um, he played like half a season and then really didn't kind of hit the team again until uh, his final season in Montreal, which was 2013-14 and didn't have a single point there. And at that point, it's like, all right, well, this, this experiment was over. It was a very puzzling pick to start with, and uh, as it turned out, yeah, it didn't exactly work out in the Canadians' favor, especially considering Chris Kreider and right behind him. So that was just another kind of uh, – another year where the Canadians could have had someone so much better, like the pick after the year after that. When it was 06, they picked David Fisher, and I, I'm drawing a blanket who it was they could have had instead. But they, the, the Canadians just really struggled to make their first-round picks work when, at the time, it was always talked about how good they were doing after the, the second and third round, how they were doing, getting all these great talents in the late rounds. Why couldn't they do anything in the first round? It was a very puzzling thing, and looking now at it now, it's the Canadians, there's still a lot of room they need to improve on the drafting floor, especially in the first round. And um, it's, it's a shame that they couldn't get Louis Blanc, but Hey, they could get the first overall pick this year. could get uh, Alexis Lafreniere. And I think everyone will completely forget that, uh, that Oak nine draft. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning. They were coming off a fantastic 2008 NHL draft where they hit on all-star type talent with their first three picks. They got uh, Ryan McDonough, Max Pacioretty and PK Subban all within the, the top 46. 
Yeah. And, and uh, obviously <laughs> Subban really was uh, kind of an important guy for them, but um, for, for Montreal to not draft as well early when they needed to, uh, I think kind of handicapped them to the point today where um, not a lot of top lying or top uh, top draft guys have actually done much for the club. And David Fisher in 06, I think also really set the team back and obviously not keeping Ryan McDonough when they, when they really should have instead of Scott Gomez. So the, the Canadians made some mistakes in the draft four, but they kind of made up with it for later picks and the getting a guy like Subban and then getting a guy like Gallagher. Those guys obviously not first run guys, but would go out to be these spectacular players for them. Subban obviously brought them Shea Weber, the current best defenseman on the team. So the, those picks were good and that's why they were always so good at drafting late, but they just could not draft in the first round for whatever reason. Chris Kreider, I think the, the Canadians would have loved to have him because then they wouldn't have to worry about Carey Price getting clobbered multiple times. Oh God, the uh, the full circle nature of, of that whole story is just, <laughs> that's that's got to be tormenting for Habs fans, um, which gives me no end of uh, schadenfreude-induced pleasure. Steven, let's <laughs> yeah, um, I, grew, I grew up a Habs redraft. fan, so. My I grew apologies. up a Habs fan, so. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I'm not the first person to say that, but. Uh, oh, my yeah, apologies. Uh, Steven, <laughs> let's, uh, let's redraft. Would you like to pick number one or number two? Well, uh, considering my pick is the, the guy who was number one in uh, 2009, I'm going to go off to go with him, Oakville, Ontario's John Tavares. Uh, obviously, we've seen what he's been able to do in the last couple of years. He's been able to take over the, the Leafs' captaincy, and he's been a, a fantastic addition to that team. So uh, the Islanders probably wish they kind of got more out of him, but uh, kind of like the Leafs wish they probably got more out of Castle. So uh, he's my number one pick and it's a hard one because number two is a great pick but I gotta go with Tobera for sure yeah I fully agree with you it's it's an interesting career because he comes along at a time in the NHL when scoring really is is at its lowest and so it affects his best seasons um like his his, probably his his highest rated season was the the 86 point season where he finishes uh one point behind jamie ben for the art ross he finishes third in the heart that year that's carrie price's heart year he's a first team all-star that season uh the only time he achieved that which is going to be difficult to do in a league with guys like Sidney crosby and Evgeny Malkin at the peak of their powers. Uh, he, he ultimately, he racks up. Uh, he finishes third in the heart a couple of times. He's gotten heart votes three other times. Selkie votes a handful of times. And since entering the league, he's eighth in points and third in goals. And he's got a handful of 80-point seasons uh, under his belt. Do you think that type of resume is building towards a Hall of Fame type career? Uh, I, I would say yes. He just needs a bit more he needs a Stanley cup. And I know that's, I hate using Stanley cups as a reason as to why someone's good or bad. Like people say, care price. Oh, he's not a great goalie. Cause he never won the cup. It's like, well, look at the team in front of him this whole time. Um, for Tavares, you know, a, a chance to get a bit more personal success in the last, in the next couple of years would be really big. Um, because if he doesn't end up bringing the leash to the cup off the contract, he signed it's well the question is okay well was that contract worth it uh especially when you're looking at the cap issues these last couple of years but uh, it's hard to argue otherwise he's been so good his entire career so consistent a few guys obviously like you mentioned how high he is in stats compared to everyone else in that scene in the last couple of years and it's like well 
yeah, because he's just so consistent. You always know you're going to go get a, a certain number of points from him, a certain number of goals, and that type of consistency is hard to maintain in the league. But Tavares really has shown no signs of slowing down to the point where he signs his mega contract and no one questions it. And I think that's something that really uh, in the next couple of years will be really key. And he's been the captain on two teams. That's a hard thing to do. And he, he didn't end up winning. He didn't get the chance to play in the gold medal game for Canada in 2014 at the Olympics but because uh, of an injury. But he won that. And he won the World Cup of Hockey. He's won World Junior Tournament. This guy wins often. He just hasn't had a chance to do it in the NHL. So hopefully we'll get to see that sometime soon. It's kind of crazy. He's only won one playoff round in his career. And there are other guys like the next year, Taylor Hall goes number one overall and God, he's only been to the playoffs even once. So it's, it's some of these things are beyond your control as a player. And he is notoriously a hard worker to the point where there's a whole national ad campaign highlighting how he never leaves the rink. So I, I, I think that, he probably has a little bit more to do, but the statistical resume is getting right there in terms of being a Hall of Fame type player. And certainly the fact that he was able to achieve a first team all-star at the center position during the primes of, of Crosby and Malkin uh, speaks volumes for me. Absolutely. That's something that uh, I think a little underrated because like, yeah, the, when you've got two of these absolute dominant centermen and Tavares is still a top 10 guy, I'd argue today, uh, given how many top guys there are, especially if you throw him McDavid into the, the scenario. So for Tavares to be a, at, at the top of his game as long as possible, I say, yeah, you know, this is a guy that um, he's going to have the points by the end of his career to do it. It's just like, will he get the, the next step? Or will he win that Stanley Cup? And uh, again, I don't like using that as a reason to say if a guy is good or not, but he just, he's pretty much won everything else he could do. Um, for the most part, let's just get that one little step there to really hit that mark. Yeah. And will we count it as a, uh, as a playoff round one, if, uh, if they beat the Columbus blue jackets, they're not going to, I don't think. I honestly think that it's going to be, uh, it'd be, it'd be, Columbus, just the fact that they tied the Leafs with as not many injuries as they had this year, it's like, well, it's far from over. I'll say that. Yeah, that's definitely going to be – all these series are going to be interesting. We're, we're headed towards uh, quite a, a good deal of fun next week. My goodness. Um, so at number two, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, I would change nothing about their pick. They hit a home run. Victor Hedman, he's – been on Norris ballots numerous times. He's on the ballot again this season. He's already won a Norris trophy. The only thing I would mention with this pick is there are some rumors at the time that the Canucks were trying really hard to trade up from number 24 to land this pick. They offered Alex Burroughs, Kevin Bieksa, and number 24 to jump up to number two, two apparently. And I mean, those, those were some key pieces on their cup finalist team, but like that would have been such a home run for them. Yeah, if, if they were to get that pick, it's like wow. Well, they got the the number one guy they need, and would have been huge for uh, for the Canucks there. But for Tampa Bay to get him, and we we talked about how good he ended up becoming. Um, he's still a cornerstone of that team, and we've got a guy who's like like 
last year you had Kucherov, who was the best forward, and you have Vasilevsky, who's the best goalie, and you got the best defenseman and or one of the best defensemen, Victor Hedman. It's like that just shows how good Tampa Bay drafted for many, many years. And obviously, yeah, picking first and second makes that a lot easier in, in back-to-back years of includes Stamkos. But for Hedman to go out there and, and on a team that's so good, but still find a way to stand out and still be so good, just shows like this is like a. I'm surprised they haven't won a Stanley Cup yet. I mean, they were my pick to win the Stanley Cup this year, and I still stick by that one. Um, it's just going to take them. Um, like, like when, when the Lightning are struggling, it's rarely ever because Hedman made a mistake. He's so consistent night in, night out. You know what you're going to get. He plays heavy minutes. He can play any role needed. He can hit. He can shoot. He just does everything you're looking for in a modern-day defenseman. And, um, like, uh, he could even – if he lost a few inches, if he was all of a sudden six two, I still think he's that good of a defenseman. I think he's just got everything you need. He's got the smart mind on him. He's got so much going for him. So uh, I like that pick. But man, if Vancouver had him, that would have been an interesting story. But I, I don't think Tampa Bay would uh, even consider drafting outside of Hedman, no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned that this team is due for a Stanley Cup. They kind of feel a bit like the Sharks of uh, of the previous era in that they've come so close a number of times. They lost uh, the 2015 Cup final to the Chicago Blackhawks. They've made a number of other conference finals as well. So they've been in the mix uh, plenty. It just it has they haven't quite gotten over the hump. And I think if Hedman isn't hurt last year. Uh, maybe that first round goes differently for them, and it's it's them, not Boston, that makes the cup final. Yeah, it's just all if they uh, don't somehow blow it, and that's what, exactly what they did. So uh, I, I think this year also the Lightning just don't have as much pressure on them, and uh, I think we'll really get to see Hedman as a uh, – because he's going to have to be playing heavy minutes, and this is going to be an extended playoff, obviously. So uh, I think we're going to have to see really, like, is he going to make his case for a Hall of Fame position this season? I would say so. I think this is a really good opportunity for him. If he, if the Lightning go the way, we're going to know the Hedman's a definite threat for the um, the Conn Smythe and a lot of that. So uh, I'm excited to see what happens there. Speaking of Hedman's legacy, Peter Forsberg has quoted before this draft that Hedman's the best Swedish defenseman since Nick Lidstrom. Do you think he lived up to that? Absolutely. 100%. Um, yeah, Sweden's had a lot of good defensemen. Obviously, Oliver Ekman Larson, a couple of picks later, was a good one. But I think when you look at just how how good Hedman's been for so long, and uh, yeah, I, I would say definitely. And you, you, we mentioned how he's got the Chris Pronger uh, traits there, and I think that's a, an, ex- an incredible example of a guy that, yeah, he's, he's kind of hits everything he needs to do. And um, Sweden's obviously dev- – uh, drafted or developed many good defensemen over the last couple of years, but very few have ever kind of been able to do what, um, what Victor Hammond's been able to do. So I would say, yeah, definitely 100%. I think that it's Eric Carlson, but I'm not so I, married to that notion that uh, I would, I would vote against Hedman. That's the thing with, with Hedman is he's been so consistent for so long and, um, and like even the bad years for Carlson, I think are, are not bad years at all. But I just, I think as an actual defenseman, I think Victor Hedman's the better option. Yeah, he gives you more of what you're expecting. But I think that Eric Carlson, he's just so much the modern defenseman, whereas Hedman, he's got that throwback part of his game that I think that more fans would be liable to think of him as 
as the prototype of a defenseman. But I think that Carlson is maybe in at, at his prime. I just I, I don't know. I'm I'm infatuated with what he did with that uh, that Senators team that pushed the uh, the eventual Cup champion uh, Pittsburgh Penguins to within a goal of the Cup final. No, and that's fair. I think the the difference between the two of them are uh, are low, but uh, I, I don't know. I just I think I have to go with Edmund. Yeah, I guess we're we're talking about two Hall of Fame type players. So yeah, uh, can... either way, I don't think either uh, either guy's got a problem uh, proving their case is one of the best. Absolutely. And, and w- once again, another prediction uh, around Hedman that proves rather prescient. Uh, at number three, the Colorado Avalanche, they took Matt Duchesne, uh, notably fan of the team. His favorite player was Joe Sackick, who ended up trading him away from the team. Uh, what are you going to do here, Stephen? Well, well, you know, uh, they had a really smart pick at number uh, 33. And I think uh, if you move it up 30 positions, it makes sense now. So I'd say Ryan O'Reilly, one of the best two-way centermen in the league. You know, he's so defensively responsible. We saw how good he was on that uh, Stanley Cup winning team last year. He's been on Team Canada a couple of times. And and so, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly is a guy, he's plug him in. You you can rely on him. He'll do everything you need. And uh, a power forward like that's important. And uh, well, obviously, like nothing to take away from Duchesne, but if you look at the last couple of years, I think O'Reilly's just been one of the the guys you could always count on to be such a reliable two-way center. So uh, he's my pick at number three. And it's tough because I think uh, I, I wouldn't even say Ekman Larson is too far behind in that situation, in that, in that conversation that is. But I have to go with uh, you don't get guys like O'Reilly often. And I think that's uh, someone you pick at number three. Yeah, I'm with you. That's exactly what I had in this spot as well. And you wonder if he's their first round pick. Do things hit ahead the same way? that they did over his uh, his contract holdout and leading to the ill-advised Calgary offer sheet where they didn't realize that he was going to have to pass through waivers. And then, I mean, he ultimately gets traded to Buffalo and he gets impaired driving charges and he falls out of love with the game playing for those miserable Sabres teams. But then St. <laughs> Louis steals him. And, and it completely they almost fell apart themselves, but then it, it swings the other way. And it's just such a circuitous road to uh, a Selkie winner and, and a Conn Smythe winner and a guy who even he ended up getting hard votes. Like just oh, what a wild ride it's been for Ryan O'Reilly. It's not been easy. That's for sure. Um, and uh, I think that uh, alone is something where you look at it and say like, you know, that's uh He's had a tough row, but well, not tough row because a lot of that was self-inflicted. But uh, he hasn't had a conventional row tour here today. But uh, O'Reilly has definitely really cemented himself as such a valuable player in the NHL. And um, you know, yeah, maybe he's he's not going to be the guy who's getting 95 points a year, but he just does so many other things that are so important that you want out of a centerman. That uh, he, he's just a natural fit. He, whenever I think of a guy as a as a prototypical, like you want a model game after centerman. O'Reilly's got to be one of those guys. Yeah, it's like Patrice Bergeron, Anze Kopitar, and then Ryan O'Reilly. Exactly. You, you, you can't go wrong with any of those options. Um, so at number four, the Atlanta Thrashers. We mentioned there's probably no way to keep the Thrashers in Atlanta, no matter what we do with this pick. So I, I'm looking at a handful of guys. You mentioned Oliver ekman Larson. I, I consider him here. But I'm not even sure that, like, right now he's the best defenseman remaining on the board. So I, I could also go Ryan Ellis. But uh, ultimately, Matt Duchesne, he's good almost right away. 
And so that's why I'm going to make the pick. Like when you're, when you're drafting a guy, you're kind of thinking the first seven years of their careers and Duchesne is pretty damn good. The, the first seven years of his run. Yeah. I got nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong, obviously with what Duchesne's career. It's, you know, like he doesn't really kind of hit it off in Nashville, but I also don't think that uh, in the end that he really serves as a number one centerman. I think if you have him as your number two, he's a fantastic player and, it's it's rare to get a number one center in a draft. I mentioned that earlier. Um, you, obviously, the Islanders got one with Tavares, but like if you like, I don't think Duchesne ever really had that first line center mentality. I think that he was always going to be better in a second line role, where you know you only get fifty five, sixty points every year, sixty five, seventy. Like that's a good number for him. And uh, so, you know, like, again, you're not going wrong if you pick up a number four. In that case, it would have been a nice boost for Atlanta, but it was definitely not saving that team. And uh, could you imagine having Shifley and Duchesne as your two centermen for a long period of time? That would have been outstanding for Winnipeg, considering how well they drafted for a few years after that. But, yeah, it wasn't going to save the team. And Duchesne just uh, – he's been a good player, but he's not, a, he's not an all-star like uh, some other guys on this list. Yeah, you're uh, like we mentioned with Kadri, um, if he's your number one centerman, you're maybe uh, you've got a ceiling to you. And it, it's so interesting that all these teams find themselves trading or signing him and they're they're not getting better as a result. And it, it puts this stink on Duchesne that I don't think is necessarily warranted. You, he's just not what you think that you're getting the the Nashville Predators they've tried so desperately hard to get a number one centerman they thought they had it in Ryan Johansson eh, maybe he hasn't quite uh, haven't quite struck gold there they got involved in in the Matt Duchesne deal but they didn't end up with him instead they got Kyle Turris and boy is that falling apart and now they were able to sign Duchesne it's like hey, we still don't have a number one centerman uh the the, the poor Predators can't figure it out <laughs> yeah, it's a team that, you know, they, they've only had scoring issues for uh, the entire existence of the team. Um, but uh, they drafted they drafted really well this year defensively in Ryan Ellis and Matias Eichholm. So uh, they know how to draft defense. It's just like they can't seem to figure out the scoring aspect of this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so at number five, the LA Kings, Braden Shen was their pick. He's still on the board, but I'm curious to see what direction you go. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, this one was a tough one because I like what Shen does and I like what Oliver Ekman Larson does. But I, I, I do go back with Shen. I just think a guy that can be that big of a power forward and can drive your line when you need him to. And when you don't, he's a, a great secondary scorer. That's a guy where we, we could have seen him be a superstar, not superstar, but he could have been a star. He could have been putting up some incredible numbers in L.A. during those playoff years. Uh, it just obviously didn't work, work out. And just the reason I give him – the, the the benefit there over like Larson is just because I think Shen kind of really as time went on continuously got better but I feel like we've already seen the best of Ekman Larson so Shen's still got a couple good years going on you know he just got to stay healthy he's got to be uh, and obviously not having Tarasenko this year didn't really help uh, his production but uh, he could still be such a good player no matter what um, he never needs to carry a team but he'll be a guy that again if he's not your primary guy scoring he's as good as you get in the secondary guy yeah, and I wonder if that doesn't just speak to the relative value that scoring forwards have compared to defensemen. You you can be, unless you're a headman type, you're probably not tilting the ice enough 
for your team the way that a, a scoring forward can have. And uh, the other thing I, I wonder with with this LA Kings pick, like we've we've referenced the what ifs with the Mike Richards trade. Ultimately, it doesn't even matter who you're picking because that player's going to get traded for Mike Richards and the Kings are going to get a couple of cups. Exactly. It, it didn't really matter in the end, but uh, that would have been a really nice, I think, kick for uh, LA if they could have made that one work and everything. But uh, in this redraft, uh, he would be a really nice addition to this team where they really need scoring right now. Yeah, no question. And you know, we talked about it with the what if. He, he definitely, if they don't make that Richards trade, would have would have made a nice impact. Uh, that brings me up at number six for the not Hamilton, but the the Phoenix Coyotes. Um, I'm torn between Ryan Ellis and Oliver Ekman Larson. You kind of made the more for now pick uh, with Braden Shen for the Kings, and if I was going more for now. I would definitely go Ryan Ellis. It seems like Ekman Larson has kind of faded after being a fantastic right out of the gate. But as I referenced with my previous pick, when you're making a draft choice, you're thinking about the first seven years and then sometimes you don't have any team control beyond that. Now the Coyotes were able to get Ekman Larson. He's got a fat new contract, 8.25 million, I think for eight more years, kicking in next year. Uh, that that he just signed so he'll be with them for forever um, and really a a tentpole for them and so that's who I'm going to pick because his first seven years are are phenomenal absolutely it's uh, the thing I'd say like the the difference between the players kind of from like fifth to tenth it was a really tough one because I I don't think you can go wrong for a lot of guys and uh, so I I, like you know I don't much have much else to add other than I agree with exactly what you said yeah, and, and just speaking to the instant impact, he only plays like 48 games and he's only getting like 14 minutes a night or something like that in his rookie year. But then as a sophomore, he's instantly a 20 plus minute a night guy. And outside of shortened seasons, he's 10 plus goals a year, every single year on a team that has no offense. And he's gotten Norris votes five different times. Ellis somehow has I don't think he's ever gotten Norris votes despite being fantastic I think he'll I'm not positive but I think that he might get some this year Um, certainly would warrant some but Ekman Larson actually has gotten those and and voting isn't always perfect but it is certainly an interesting measure and shows you just how how good he was in the early part of his career and can he recapture that through the back half and through this uh, expensive contract I wonder uh, at number seven, Toronto Maple Leafs. You referenced they could maybe made a better pick than Kadri with some of the defensemen that were on the board. Uh, which direction are you going to go, Stephen? Then you got to go Ryan Ellison. That's easy one. You know, injuries definitely kept him out of uh, out of action there for a lot of that season when he was looking at like a 60, 70 point season where he would have been a huge threat for the Norris Trophy. And being shut down to just 49 games really definitely didn't help. But out of the gate, no one could stop him. And, uh, if you can get 10 goals a year out of him and like, again, we haven't seen the best of him. I think next year he goes out and gets 55, 60 points. No problem. He just has to stay healthy. And that's a problem. He's not had a lot of full career seasons. Um, his first full year was 2013, 14. And then he had injuries the next year. And then two years after that, he missed a handful of games. And then he missed almost half of 2017, 18. So he's actually missed so many games in his career, which I think has kind of taken away what we could have hoped to see out of him. But uh, I think he's worth the contract, and when he's healthy, he's just dominant. He just 
has to stay healthy. At number eight, intriguing one for me with the Dallas Stars. Um, they, not they, Scott Glennie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're definitely not going to take Scott Glennie, um, who apparently he he just got caught up in the lifestyle or something. I, I don't know exactly what happened with him, but uh, he he never makes it. I think I'm going to go with Robin Lehner. I think that they went through that bad stretch of having the the super expensive but super not effective Kari Letton and Antti Niemi tandem in the mid 2000s when they were a president's trophy type team with that tandem and I wonder if they don't have a guy like Laner who maybe he he has those personal issues anyway and he's not effective at that time but uh, he's, he's certainly effective now that he's gotten through those I wonder if he's a starter for them if, uh, if things don't go differently and uh, maybe they get over the hump yeah I guess I guess that the thing is for me it's he like a lot of other factors would have to take into that one like if you look at it now sure um but if you look at it over the career, it's like, well, he, he really, he, they ended up getting Ben Bishop, so I guess it worked out for them. But for, for Leonard, it's, no, I, I don't know if he, he's necessarily a top 10 just because he hasn't been good long enough. And if he struggles next year, um, and if he doesn't get another starting role, the question is, okay, well, then was it just a, he had really good two years and then that was it type thing. So I, I don't know if I'd agree with Leonard there, but at the same time, if you pick on right now, it's like, well, yeah, that is definitely an argument. But I, I'm not necessarily convinced he's the right guy just because you, you could get someone who's been so consistent around that whole time like Evander Kane. Yeah, yeah, you, you may be right. So – I, I just, I don't know, I, I look at the, the outsized value that goalies can have, and I think that Leonard now is, he's just so palpably the one of the best context-free goaltenders in, in the league right now. Like, he goes from a great defensive system, putting up great numbers, and then he goes to a terrible one in Chicago, and he's good there. And then now he's on Vegas, where he's reportedly going to re-sign, and he's probably going to be awesome for them, too, which is a nightmare for me. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just infatuated with that. But like you said, it's, it's, it's a point well taken that he really only has done this for a couple of years. Yeah, so it's like we, we two years ago, if you put him in the top 10, like obviously the, the whole thing is like, what would you do now? But two years ago, it would have been like hilarious to even be suggesting something like that. And obviously he's come through so much, done, gone through so much, and he's really turned into a new career, a great career for him. But uh, I do question if that would be for sure the right decision. Right, and if, if Andrew Kane were on the board for them, he would become the guy that they thought they were getting in Scott Glennie. So, yeah, you, 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 may have, uh, you may have pointed out that I didn't make a great pick there. Well, uh, then the other teams can take advantage of that, uh, that free pick of Evander Kane right behind. And so that's what you're going to do, uh, number nine at Ottawa, because Brian Murray had his eyes on Nazem Kadri, and a fake Brian Burke didn't run him over and take his guy. So, but Vander Kane and Kadri are both on the board. Yeah, I have to go with, uh, you got to go for Vander Kane, because when he's at his best, he could do so much. And I've said that about a few guys, but there's a reason why. It's because Vander Kane has had some injury issues. He's, he's kind of never really played a lot of um, – he's been in some tough situations where he was playing in Buffalo and he was playing in Winnipeg where just not, not everything kind of really worked out, but San Jose seems to have really kind of 
revived his career a little bit. And, you know, he's not going to, he, she's proven in his career that he's not going to go out there and get a lot of 50 point seasons, um, at least consistently, but he's a guy that he scored 30 goals. He would have got 30 goals this year and he was going to get 30 goals a few years before that. So he's, he's a really good goal scorer. I, I think actually he was going to be on pace to get it for like, like at least 28 goals for the fourth year in a row. So getting a guy who could score that often on the wing uh, would be great especially now if you look at the team if he had stuck around and they were going out there and getting uh Lafreniere well they even got Byfield this year if they had Byfield passing it under Kane like my gosh you guys are going to score so many goals so um again it's all context but uh I, I love Evander Kane as a player and he's a guy that just he can score just that will and that's really important he's got uh, almost 250 goals in his career so um I really like him as a guy, as a prospect. So I just, I remember when he went and played in the KHL and he was absolutely useless to get like two points or something, like 12 games or 10 games. He just, he was nowhere to be found, but he uh, usually when he's on his game, he could score at will. Was that in the 2012 lockout? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Like he, he's one of the guys who makes the leap right away to the NHL as an 18 year old. And certainly Coming into this draft, there everyone was talking about 7% body fat. Oh my God, the body on him. Notably named after Evander Holyfield. F- phenomenal physical skills. And I wonder if he didn't get rushed a little bit to the league. Like certainly capable of scoring a number of goals. I think sophomore season on, he's 20 goals every single year. Um, and not always as a top six winger on some bad teams, just some strange deployment for him. And it just, just a kind of a weird career. Yeah. It's like, he hasn't been on many competitive teams. That's the thing. It's like, he's, he made the playoffs for the first time in 2017, 18. Like mm-hmm. he's been in the NHL since 2010. So he hasn't played on many good teams. And then this year you look at the team and the sharks were awful. It just seems like wherever he's gone, the team just haven't been able to compete. And um, it, it's it's a shame because he's such a good goal scorer and I would like to see what he could do in the playoffs. I thought he had a really strong playoff in 2018. And uh, last year he was kind of silent. I think he only had two goals or something in 20 games. But when, again, when you get him going and you've got him surrounded by the right players and you're playing him right, he could put up a lot of points. And he was one of the bright spots on this Sharks team this year that just – it was an absolute utter disaster. So, um, yeah, I really like him as a, as a pick. And he's still, like you said, he's just such a strong guy. He's he's so physically fit. He could, he's got everything about him. And he, he received, like, bad rap for being, like, this flashy guy a couple of years ago and everything. It's like, you know what, no, he's, he's a guy having fun. We need more personalities like him and I like Evander Kane for sure. Yeah, a bit of, uh, a, bit of a stink of some horseshit hockey culture crap that uh that we we all need to get over i think exactly that's uh that's about as good a way as i could put it uh so at number 10 the edmonton oilers they took magnus prb and i was infatuated with him he put up some some great stats in in the swedish elite league it's not often that you don't at least become an nhl player when you put up numbers as draft eligible in the swedish elite league and he did become i don't know a fourth liner in the NHL, but there was all this talk about what a fantastic skater he was. And he was really fast and explosive, but just not actually a good skater, but wonky stride. And he doesn't end up panning out and it, it, part of the decade of sadness for the Oilers. So I'm not taking 
PRV as excited as Dang, I, I thought you would. At the time. Yeah, no kidding. No, I I, I've, <laughs> I've made enough mistakes in this draft. I'm going to take Nazem Kadri, and I think we've we've talked plenty about uh, about him. So I'll let you go at number eleven for the Nashville Predators. I'm going to go with uh, Matthias Sackholm, and uh, he sticks there, so it's easy for him. But uh, yeah, with 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 Ekholm, he he proved so much for this this Nashville team that he's such a solid stay-at-home guy and you know he may not have the flash of Ryan Ellis he may not have the poise of of Roman Yossi or even like Shea Weber before that but I call him he's just you can rely on him so much and you'll put him in any situation and he can compete with the best of the best so I think he's such an underappreciated player because he's not going out there and uh producing heavy numbers but he doesn't need to he's he if he, if he gets 30, 40 points a year, that's a huge bonus. But really what he does is best is shutting teams down and and you put him against any team's best player and he might, he'll usually come out on top. So a guy like that's invaluable and he just doesn't have the flash of the guys ahead of him. Yeah, if, if you're Nashville and you're missing out on Ryan Ellis, who, I mean, such a prescient pick for them because Ellis, like he was a prospect who had – top five game but seventh round size so they made a great pick there and they made a great pick with Ekholm as well in I think I think it was the third or the fourth round for them and so at least getting one of those guys in a redraft would be huge for them he's been uh, he's been a remarkable player and again another one of those more of a throwback type uh, type defenseman still has enough offense to his game that he's a, a worthwhile pick yeah, and like I said, like you don't even need him to be an offensive guy because you've got other offensive defensemen on the team. But what he brings in, uh, everything else is just so valuable. No question. Uh, so at number 12, the New York Islanders, we did the, the Charlie Kelly mapping everything out against the wall to figure out how they got up to that pick. Uh, they took Calvin DeHaan, but uh, there's a handful of good middle six, maybe even bordering on top line forwards available here. And most of them take forever to finally land in the NHL. So I'm not sure exactly which guy I'm going to run with, but I'm looking at Kreider, Hoffman, Lee, Palmieri, and maybe even Thomas Tatar. Um, Ultimately, uh, I'm going to go with... Uh, Chris Kreider, just because he's got that that size and speed that everyone in the modern game seems to be going after. I, I that's not who I would have picked, but it's not a bad pick either. And I think uh, yeah, if Chris Kreider, you know, a guy that uh, could just stand in front of the net and just push people around. He's obviously a good power play guy. He's uh, actually been very solid, even strength. I think he's kind of most underrated in the way of just what he's been able to to produce in his career and. Um, when you get a guy who's as consistent on the power play as he can be is uh, a good one for Kreider. So, uh, yeah, not my favorite pick there, but, like, again, it's, you get to the point where it's so close where you, you can't go wrong. You're picking Chris Kreider there, and you're not making a bad pick. Yeah, I wonder if I would have been better off taking, uh, taking current captain Anders Lee. But uh, ultimately, I just think that with his skating and, and his size, like, he's, he's really – he's an ice-tilting physical specimen – and he, and he drives play, and he's been scoring at a 25-goal pace for seven years running now. Um, he's Injuries have always been a factor for him, so he's never gotten over the 30-goal or the 60-point hump. 
but he's still been a, a tremendously valuable player and he's still on the right side of 30. So I think that, uh, I think that even though power forwards don't age that well, he, he's going to give the Rangers a few more good years. And I think that he would have helped the Islanders had they picked him here. And that uh, would have been a much different uh, situation for the Rangers. <laughs> no question. Uh, number 13, Buffalo Sabres. They took Zach Cassian who, famously flamed out he he ended up going to Vancouver in a trade for Cody Hodgson who his game falls apart after a bunch of like back issues and he's got like a congenital disorder that basically ended his career once he got to Nashville so the the pick flames out for them so I, I think you can make a better pick for the Sabres here. Well, uh, you, the last guy you mentioned of your group of players from the last pick was Thomas Tatar, and I'm going to pick him. And um, not because I, I used to be a lot of hardcore Canadians fan, but just because he just continuously finds a way to get better every single season. You know, when it, I remember that 2014-15 season, he was fantastic with uh, Detroit. He was a goal away from being a 30 goal guy. He had almost 60 points. He did everything they needed for him, and in, in like a secondary scoring role. And um, I, I've also just kind of really grown to love his game in the last couple. Of years I think in Montreal it's been a perfect fit because he could be their go-to guy and uh maybe you look more you, you would like to see a bit more offense out of your go-to guy than a guy who was projected to get like 67 68 points but still if you're getting that many that's um that's still uh, that late in the draft that's a very valuable pick so I think Tatar's best years are, are like he's in, in the midst of his prime right now I think the next couple of years are going to be really important ones for him so um, you know he's 29 he, he was one of the older guys in the draft because he was a late December ba- uh, birthday but uh, and it took him a long time to really kind of get an NHL role I think he was first full NHL season was actually uh, I want to say 2013-14 so he actually, it took him a while to get into the NHL full time, but when he did, he, it looked right. It was the right decision and he was there and he, he's stuck ever since. And um, I love guys who perform internationally and he's, he was really, really good at the world championships last year and he just doesn't play enough for Slovakia. So um, he's a guy that in some years you can get 30 goals out of him. Other years, you know, he's the guy driving the play and setting up someone else. So I really like Thomas Tatarafek. Yeah, he was one of the last of those slow-cooked later round picks by the Detroit Red Wings. I've been unable to get out of my brain. Uh, I had a a Detroit Red Wings fan, one of my friends, he hated Tatar. And he pointed out how he would, if ever there was a chance to give up on a play to avoid getting hit, he would do so. And we, we went and watched a game and I saw him do it a number of times and I haven't been able to get it out of my brain that he would do this, but it's been years since that fact. And as you mentioned, he has been such a hit for the Montreal Canadiens. So I wonder if I just haven't caught up to the developments in Tatar's game. So ultimately I only had him as an honorable mention rather than a choice here. Has he really uh, come that much farther? Well, like his best season was offensively was this year. And uh, like what, what would he have been able to do in a whole season type thing would have been really cool. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, he, he's he's kind of improved his physical play. He's not necessarily afraid of every single hit that comes near him, um, which is kind of a key thing. But, you know, he's a talented guy. He was one of the top um, potential players to go uh, at the trade deadline this year. And I think Montreal made the right decision not getting rid of him. And um, 
he, he just spends so much time in front of the net, but he's really kind of become a defensively responsible guy. And he, he's a really good puck mover. And um, his skating has really been a big thing for me. I think he's got really good acceleration. He's got a good top speed. And uh, the, 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 when, when you were such a, gifted passer and a guy who could still kind of control a play and make these highlight real plays to have that speed at your disposal, I think is a really good thing. So uh, yeah, his best season was this year. And I've got to wonder what next year is going to be like if Montreal gets one of those first round picks uh, translated into uh, an NHL. I'd like to see what Tatar could do with Cole Caulfield on his line. Oh my God. Cole Caulfield. What a guy. Sign me up for that. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to watch Tatar more closely. I, I've just written him off in my mind, and maybe that's not fair. People grow, they develop, and, uh, and they improve. So at number 14, the Florida Panthers, we talked about, they took Dmitry Kulikov. Didn't quite work out, although he's been a minute-munching defenseman, so there's that. Uh, I'm going to give them current Panther Mike Hoffman because while he only has one dimension, that dimension is lighting goalies on fire from 25 feet in and you can't pay enough for that. Exactly. There's going to be a reason why he's going to be one of the most coveted players of the, uh, uh, in free agency this summer. And uh, yeah, if you could be good at one thing, if better be scoring. And uh, that's, uh, that's something that I really like about his game. So uh, absolutely no complaints there in terms of uh, what type of player he is and that that pick it's, uh, it would be a shame if Florida couldn't keep him, but you know, cap's going to be a kind of an issue there. Yeah. They, they, they keep running into these problems. It's like they, they put out some fires and then start some fires somewhere else. And it's it just a, it's a never ending game of uh, chasing their own tail. Uh, let's round it out. Uh, number 15 pick. Uh, you can either make the pick or because 15 always sucks. You can just fire off some honorable mentions. Well, this pick won't suck. Anders Lee and he's going to go uh, to uh, the team is what Anaheim. Yeah. Anaheim. Um, you know, it took him a long time to, make it to the NHL um but he, he's been one of the best goal scorers and best uh even strength goal scorer specifically uh since he joined the NHL in 2014-15 and um it, it would have been uh, interesting to see if he was let go last summer at free agency but ever since Tavares has gone it's Lee's been kind of kept keeping up there and doing exactly what he needs to do to keep the Islanders a relevant team, you know, not the same position. He plays wing over Tavares center, but he was able to uh, put up some nice numbers. I, I would have liked to see him score a bit more uh, this year, but I'd say uh, you, you can't go wrong with a guy that uh, uh, of his skill set and what he brings to a team. You just, you need to surround him with a bit more offense and uh, he'll really start to shine. Yeah, I'm such a fan of Anders Lee. When uh, b before he he made the NHL, I was I was getting my my start in writing and and doing doing a little bit of scouting, and he was the second prospect that I profiled for Dauber Hockey, and it helped me get a job writing there. And he he, he turned out to be maybe even better than than I thought he would like certainly you sung his praises he's got a 40 goal season a 34 goal season uh what a tremendous player um one of the supreme net front guys in the league and uh now a captain of a team so um love the pick yeah I, I when you mentioned him I'm like yeah I gotta go with him I gotta go from this pick and uh that was uh I'm glad you agree it was the right decision 
Indeed. Uh, so, some honorable mentions. Kyle Palmieri, we talked about he went number 26. He was in the mix. Number 16 pick was Nick Letty. Tyson Berry, he goes in, I think, the third round to the Colorado Avalanche. Darcy Kemper, I can't even remember who drafted him, but uh, but he's a selection in this it? draft. You know, you might be right. Uh, Riley Smith gets taken in the second round by, I believe, the Dallas Stars. He is part of... Uh, Louis Erickson trade, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, any other honorable mentions you'd like to throw out? Uh, I think you kind of give everyone, like, I like uh, Jacob Silverberg. I think a guy that's very underrated. And uh, uh, Dmitry Orlov has kind of really started to prove himself. Um, but otherwise, I'd, I think uh, there's a lot of those guys, definitely good ones. Not, it's not as bad of a draft when you look at it, just not as a lot of star power after the first few picks. No, it is very middle six heavy. Like we could have, we could have gone for another 15, 20 picks with guys who were second pairing defensemen and, and middle six forwards. And some guys have even played us as, uh, as, you know, top line forwards, just maybe miscast. Um, do, can I run some of the best hockey names from this draft out at you? Go for it. Okay. So you mentioned Silverberg, just a, a fantastic name and the, the cheers from when he was playing in in the Swedish Elite League, the ooh ah Silverberg, that's uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I um, remember that. Thomas Tatar uh, again, like Tatar sauce. That's that's fantastic. Um, Igor Bobkov, he never turns into a player, but that's that's a hilarious name to me. Um, David Runblad, when I learned that uh, that means David Roundleaf. Was, was fantastic, and he was lauded as a, he, you know, he was a first-round pick for the Blues, and uh, he was lauded as, like, this extreme offensive defenseman, and he's done it at every level except the NHL. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, no, those are good names there, and uh, the one the one you mentioned, Igor Bobkov, I thought that was a guy I was really, really hoping he would turn into something big, and uh, never really did it. Um, uh, as a big goalie guy, obviously, I, uh, um I followed his career and I've followed a lot of guys following Europe. So I was really thinking this is a guy that could really kind of shine. And, uh, you know, he didn't really do that in Anaheim and obviously Anaheim also had a few good goalie options at the time. So it didn't really make sense for him as it was, but uh, he's had a really, really good time out there. And Omsky uh, was one of the best goalies this year in the KHL. So uh, good to see he's had a really good career out there. And he's, he's one of Russia's goalies when they, uh, as like their B team, when they send out their uh, top guys to one other tournament, they'll play a second B team and he'll, he's usually their starting goalie there. Oh, it's good to hear that he's uh, he's at least carved himself out a career, if not in the NHL. The the last one it only applies when you're going uh, when you're giving him a nickname that I'm not even sure is there is uh, is Richard Dick Panic. And anytime <laughs> someone can panic about Dick, um, I'm there for it. Don't search that up on Google. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not, uh, Stephen. Uh, who won this draft? Like which NHL team? Uh, or I don't know any any um, ra random outset of, of things uh, that could have won this draft. Uh, who, who do you think did the best coming out of this draft? In, in the real draft or the fake draft? Yeah, the real draft. I, I'd say when you've got a when you draft a Ryan Ellison, Matthias Ekholm, hard to go against that. I really like the Nationals draft because those are two guys that are just um, they were immediate cornerstones of that franchise and are still that today. 
uh, that's really big. And uh, but at the same time, Tampa Bay, you you can ignore what everyone else did in the draft. You look at it and say, well, Edmonds been so important for that team ever since. So those are the two teams I'd say go one and two in terms of the uh, win in the draft. But I I pick Nashville just because I think when you get two cornerstone defensemen in one draft, that's huge. And not to mention, they also drafted Craig Smith and they got games out of uh, Gabriel Bork. So pretty fantastic for them. Uh, I referenced it uh, earlier on. The Islanders, they landed six NHL players coming out of this draft. They got Tavares at number one. DeHaan played. He's he's a, an NHL defenseman. Miko Koskinen sure. and, and Anders Nilsson. Are, are both NHL goaltenders, even if they're more 1B types. They got Casey Sezikis, and then they got Anders Lee. They got two team captains out of this draft. Uh, a phenomenal draft for them. And then the other team, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, they got Matt Duchesne, Ryan O'Reilly, and Tyson Berry with, I, I believe, their top three picks, which is, I mean, some teams absolutely cleaned up in this draft. Yeah, that, it's uh, like going through it, I'm like, I just remember – thinking like the top three great draft picks and then after that it's like it's good but nothing too exciting you mentioned it's a very middle six heavy but overall yeah it's a pretty strong draft when you look at a lot of those teams and uh unless you're a bunch of Canadians but uh otherwise yeah that's uh it's a fun draft to look back at absolutely uh Stephen is there anyone from this draft class who even knowing how it turned out for them you still irrationally believe in them uh, as like they might be good someday or as in they just I love them no matter what yeah you can't give up on them even though you know they're not good oh Matt Hackett okay. <laughs> the, uh, Matt Hackett picked uh, by Minnesota and you know he played at Buffalo he's got just one of my all-time favorite facts he's the only goalie to ever play for Team Canada and then a team called the Americans in the same tournament the Spangler Cup one year. He played for the, the Rochester Americans. They got eliminated. Team Canada needed a goalie because the other goalie got hurt. So they just went out and brought over Hackett. So Hackett played for the Americans and the Canadians in the same tournament, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he was a guy that I really thought was going to be Minnesota's next star guy after Backstrom. And uh, as it turned out, never really worked that way. But uh, I will always love him kind of for the fact that he was a Canada-USA guy. But at the same time, he uh, – he he put up some solid numbers in junior. He looked promised in the AHL and just could never really get it to figure it out in the NHL. But I'd say he, he went uh, 77th overall, and he's definitely one of my favorite guys from that draft. Uh, that's such a wonderful anecdote. For me, it's got to be Anton Lander. I, I mentioned I was infatuated with Magnus PRV, but Lander was his center in the Swedish Elite League. And then the Oilers drafted those two guys with their top two picks. And Lander, like, he crushed the AHL, but then they were determined to bring him up too fast and pigeonhole him as, like, a fourth-line center. And it, it never worked out, but it seems like he crushes it at every other level, and I can't quit him. All right. That's, that's not a bad uh, pick. He's done a lot for Sweden internationally. And uh, if you tell him I'm covering one of those tournaments, he's always doing something. Absolutely. Uh, Steven, this was incredible. I, I think we went a little bit longer than we had intended, but uh, always fun going down memory lane with this stuff. So thank you so much for being generous with your time. Is there anything that you would like to plug while you're on here? 
Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter, uh, Stephen Ellis NHL. Uh, my personal website is stephenpls.com. Uh, definitely check out linemovement.com. Uh, uh, I write articles there uh, every week and I've uh, been doing some stuff with Nick Kiprios' show and uh, I should have a really cool announcement uh, coming very soon. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Oh, and he leaves us with a tease. That is so fantastic, Stephen. Thank you once again for coming on. Yes, thank you very much.